If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, and individual rights. This is the Yaron Brook Show. All right, everybody, welcome to the Yaron Brook Show on this uh, beautiful Saturday. It's beautiful here in Puerto Rico. I am back. Back in Puerto Rico. Uh, for a little while, I, you know, I travel again next week, but uh, for this week at least, we'll be doing some shows, uh, doing a show today, probably tomorrow, a few shows during the week, so we'll, uh, we'll try, to, try to catch up and, uh, on, all the, uh, on all the stuff going on in the world, but today, we're going to avoid politics again. You notice I'm avoiding this whole impeachment thing, I'm trying to just not get into it. Um, uh, you know, I, I got a great response from the last two shows I did. The one I did on uh, Manon, uh, uh, Jules Massenet's uh, opera. I think a lot of people enjoyed that. A lot of people, I even saw some people book tickets to go see the opera at the Metropolitan Opera in New York. So good for you. You can also watch the opera. I, I, you know, I didn't mention this, but I should have. You can actually, whoops, you know, I didn't go live on Facebook. There we go. That's better. You can actually um, you can actually watch the opera uh, at a theater new, near you. So the Metropolitan shows uh, certain theaters show Metropolitan operas uh, on uh, on the cinema screen, and uh, so check check in the theater near you, you. You can see the same production I saw. It I'm sure it'll be available uh, at some point. Uh, it's all over the country. It's here in Puerto Rico. There's a at least one theater that shows uh, that shows Met operas, uh, sometimes live, sometimes um, they're not live, so I'm not sure. But it's, it's not that important to watch it live. The important thing is to see it. So those of you who'd like to see Man On by Jules Mosner, the, the production I saw in New York, you can see it at a theater near you, and that is my promotion for that. So a lot of people seem to enjoy it. I was a little surprised, I have to say, at the number of people who in the comment section who expressed hostility towards women and towards my comments about women. So uh, it, is a, it is a troubling cultural trend, I have to say. And I know, uh, you know, I, I got in trouble with my uh, men, uh, men going their own way and my comments about them and incels and so on. But this whole phenomena among young men, which is 
you know, hostility towards women and hostility towards uh, the advancements women have made to attain, uh, you know, equal rights, rights, rights of, of freedom and liberty, um, is is quite stunning. And I was, uh, you know, it, it keeps, I keep being bewildered by it. And it again suggests to me that the world is actually, you know, in worse shape than I uh, than I imagined it was, unfortunately. So, but I'm glad some of you really enjoyed that show because you know you never know. Uh, you do a show on opera on YouTube. Not many people do shows on opera uh, to an audience used to listening to political and philosophical commentary. And uh, you guys responded well, so uh, good for you. Um, the, uh, the other show on WeWork as well, uh, you know, again, I got good responses. And a lot of comments from people saying, hey, it's great that you're not doing politics. We're sick in politics. We're sick of Trump, no matter what your position on Trump is, no matter what your position on these things. Um, it's, uh, we are, uh, uh, they, they are sick of it. So, uh, so today, again, I'm not going to do politics. I'm going to stay away from the political news. We'll get to it, I'm sure, later in the week. There's stuff to talk about. Most of it's boring, I find. The interesting political stuff is not really in the news. There, there is some economic stuff I want to talk about, so we'll be talking about maybe tomorrow, about some of the economic numbers, unemployment numbers, the, the, the economic slowdown that appears to be happening, um, you know, some 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 of the stuff going on in financial markets. I think I think uh, that'll be of interest, so we'll do that. Uh, we'll try to do that tomorrow, and uh, and then we'll see what happens the rest of the week. Uh, you know, there's also, uh, I, I understand, the, uh, the, uh, uh, de- uh, the negotiations between the United States and North Korea have broken down after one day of negotiating. I don't know how that can be. I don't know how that can be. I mean, he's such a good guy. The, the, the murderous dictator of North Korea, he's such a good guy. Why would the negotiations break down? I mean, he, obviously he wants what's good for his own people. And, and maybe the Americans are being unreasonable. It's probably what it is. Trump is being unreasonable. All right. Uh, well, we'll get to that in a, on a different show. Okay, today we're going to have a little bit of fun uh, with Andrew Clavan um, and his views on Ayn Rand. So, I, you know, the way I'm doing this is I couldn't, I started watching it and, I, and I, his, his commentary on Ayn Rand, I, I actually read a transcript of it. Uh, there's a transcript on, on the uh, Daily, uh, Daily Wire website. So I read that. I couldn't watch the video because it just, it just pisses me off. So I figured I might as well get pissed off live uh, with you watching. Uh, you know, some of you seem to enjoy watching me get pissed off. So, uh, so I'm gonna, we're going to watch this together. Uh, Andrew Claverne, uh talking about his views on Ayn Rand. And I am going to comment on his views uh, on Ayn Rand. Uh, and, um, you know, and I thought, should I even do this, right? It's, it's so stupid. Most of what he says is just stupid. And I decided that it is worth doing because they get away with this, this crap. I, I was going to say one of the seven words you're not supposed to say according to FCC, but of course you can say it on the internet. But anyway, I'm trying to be... Um, and... and um, they get away with this. They do this, and, and most of us objectivists, we take the position. I took this position for years and years and years. It's so stupid, it's not worth commenting on it. Anybody's honest will see it. Well, why not comment on it, particularly in this format where we can have some fun with it, and I can yell at Clevan, and you, we can watch it in snippets, and, 
and we could all kind of comment on it. So I think I think there's a I think there's a certain value to saying you're full of it. You're really full of it, and not just letting people figure it out. I, I think there's entertainment value, but I also think there's educational value. And and I think there might be some people innocently who watch this, and um, and might you know might change their mind or, or might have been influenced by Clavon, and uh, this might change their mind about it. Oh my, you know, I, I, but anybody who's read Ayn Rand either agrees with Clavon and and is hopeless therefore, or uh, understands that what he's doing is complete. BS. But uh, this is typical, though. Let me just say, I, I, I do want to start up by thanking Andrew, right? I want to thank Andrew. Because what Andrew makes clear in the, what he makes clear through his rhetoric, and I think it is in, in the Daily Beast um, uh, transcript of this, what he makes clear is that objectivism is not conservatism. Conservatism. That conservatives are not objectivists. That there's no similarity between the two. That there's no overlap. That they're not, they're not the same thing. They're not even moderately the same thing. So, that's a good thing. Thank you, Andrew Clavant, for emphasizing that objectivism is not conservatism and showing the differences. And you'll see, particularly the most important paragraph, the most important section of the video is going to be the last paragraph. The last paragraph. So if you have the stomach, please stick around for the last paragraph, for the last few minutes of the video. Um, yes, I wanted to thank him. I think, I think other than that, we're good. Not the Daily Beast, the Daily Wire transcript, of course. The Daily Beast is left-wing. There are too many dailies out there. Uh, and, and it's really hard to differentiate. I don't know what is, which is which, and... Uh, you know, and some of them are left, some of them are right, some of them, I don't know. Uh, there's at least three dailies, right? There's a daily wire, there's a leftist daily beast, and then there's a daily something that's kind of right of center. So, all right, here we go. Uh, Andrew gets a question from Rita. And by the way, this is all stimulated, all stimulated by the fact that I was on uh, Ben Shapiro's show. So if you haven't yet watched the interview Ben Shapiro did with me, Go and watch the interview with ben, uh, that I did with Ben Shapiro. It's, it's, it's a good interview. It's a good hour. It's a good discussion. We cover a lot of issues. We cover a lot of ground. I actually want to get into some of the issues we covered there. I'm actually going to have Ankar Gatti on the show um, in, in, uh, in sometime soon to talk about some of the issues we covered in that um, Ben Shapiro interview because there was a lot of stuff covered, and a lot of it needs to go. we need to go deeper with. So uh, I think Ankar... Uh, being on the show with me would be would be great. All right, um, all right. Here we go. Uh, let's see. Yep, I think we're good. Here we go. Lord Clavin, destroyer of ease and master of the multiverse. Master of the multiverse is the correct uh, way to approach it. Recently, Ben had Yaron Brook on his Sunday special to discuss Ayn Rand and good objectivism. Yeah. I can tell already this question is going to get me in big trouble. As a Catholic, I fundamentally disagree with Rand on certain claims. (coughs) Yaron made the claim that Judeo-Christian values are not Western values. Watch how he pauses and looks at that. Really? How can that be? Western values? Judeo-Christian values? How could anybody say that? How would you respond? Additionally, I would love to hear your thoughts on Ayn Rand and objectivism in general. Thanks. 
Okay, well, let me make it just before I answer this question and step in it, which I'm about to do. Um, let me first say that I did not watch this interview. I did not see Aaron Brook on Ben's show, so I'm not responding to what he said. I'm responding to what you say he said, okay? That's important. Uh, if I'm not even talking to him. Um, I think... So that's reasonable. You know, he's not, he's not talking to me, so, you know, he didn't hear the interview, but his response is still quite indicative. Here we go. Sucks. Okay. <laughs> he just said Ayn Rand sucks. That's that. So that's the way to begin a discussion about the compatibility of Western civilization with Judeo-Christian values, and to begin a discussion about Ayn Rand. Who Ayn Rand? What's Ayn Rand? Now, um, I lowered the volume, so I understand there's some there was some distortion in hearing him. Let me just see what else I can do. Um, yeah, I'll just lower the volume here. Tell me if this solves the problem. And uh, in the comment section, there's still a sound distortion from the video. Let me know. Here we go. I think her writing sucks. I think her books are unreadable. I think Atlas Shrugged. I mean, look, there's one speech in Atlas Shrugged that is worth reading. It's made maybe 15 times. The book is thousands of pages long. Uh, You know, I skimmed it. Uh, The Fountainhead is... Notice, right? The writing's terrible. The characters are awful. It's long, it's boring, it's the same speech over and over and over again. And how does he know this? How does he know this? Because he skimmed it. He skimmed the book. So he knows the speech repeats itself. And he knows that the book is boring and it's badly written because he skimmed it. It's, I mean... Wow. All right, here we go. Exciting, but none of her characters are real. They all have those Nazi names like... Nazi names. I mean, what? (laughs) Really? This is the level of discussion? and Galt, you know, (laughs) and all the bad guys are named Mooch. She's not trying to write reality. She's trying to write uh, her philosophy into fiction. Now, not true. She's not trying to write reality. That is absolutely true. And one of the big problems with with all the criticisms, all the people who criticize uh, Ayn Rand's writing, is the fact that, is the fact that they used to naturalism. They used to James Joyce. They used to, you know, real crap modern fiction. And when somebody writes romantic literature that is not reality, it's romantic, it's stylized, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to relate to it. Now, he's talking about The Fountainhead, which supposedly he's read. Now, the reason this is so jarring is, is because Ayn Rand is such a brilliant writer. Her prose is so beautiful. So I had lunch with a guy uh, yesterday. Uh, Yesterday was Friday. I was in New York. We had lunch. I I know this guy through business, through the hedge fund business. But then it turns out that he's kind of an Iron Man fan, even though he hasn't read Atlas Shrugged and the Fountainhead, but he's read some nonfiction, and he's a fan. He considers himself kind of a libertarian. And um, and he's from Trinidad and Tobago, so he's an immigrant. And he's, he's... Super smart, and um, 
I'd, I'd met him both through business and then he actually came to the Ayn Rand um, uh, dinner. And, I, you know, I hope he doesn't mind me telling his story. I'm not going to give his name, so, but I hope he doesn't mind me telling his story. Anyway, we had lunch. And uh, he, he, tells me, he tells me in the lunch yesterday, he says, I cannot, he says, I started reading The Fountainhead. I'm about halfway through. He says, I cannot believe that I've never read this book. I cannot believe that anybody has everybody on the planet Earth should read this book. He said it's, and he, and he went on and on about how beautiful it was written, how amazing her writing was, how, how you know, how, how, you know, the, the flow of the narrative, the descriptions were so beautiful, her essentialization of certain things and her incredible descriptions of other things, her lengthy descriptions of other things, the way she describes the flow of time. I mean, he was just unbelievably articulate about the beauty of Ayn Rand's writing in The Fountainhead and the impact, even though he was only halfway through, the book was having on him. And the contrast between that and, and Clavon is just striking. I'm going to read you a text he sent me. Again, I'm not going to name his name. I hope he doesn't mind. He writes, This book is so glorious. I'm fearful to continue reading, knowing that with each page I complete, I draw myself closer to its conclusion. I almost want to stop where I am right now and savor the knowledge that I have with more of it left in reserve. I mean, that's, ve- you know, that's the kind of attitude to have towards Ayn Rand. That's what her writing deserves, that veneration. And to hear Clavan, you know, who's just a conventional, nothing conservative, trash talk a book that he skimmed, talk about literature, something he obviously knows nothing about, is just horrific. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, this is what counts as a modern right-wing intellectual. And this is why we are where we are. This is why we are where we are in the world. Because this is what the right is. This is what the so-called protectors of the Constitution are. This is what those who supposedly are defending capitalism are. Really? Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Every day, we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. 
It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Yes, I know he's a best-selling fiction writer. So, in today's market, in today's world, that means something? I don't think so. I don't think so. You know, in a world where Hugo is a best-selling fiction writer, in a world where Dostoevsky is a best-selling fiction writer, that's the world in which Ayn Rand is a best-selling fiction writer. In a world with Clavin as a best-selling fiction writer, give me a break. Give me a break. All right. Yeah, say, so he can write for the masses today. Yep. That's the level. And, 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 he, and, he, and he feels authorized to talk about a book by skimming it, talk about speeches by skimming them. I hate that. There are a few successful books that do that. 1984 is one of them. Um, but even, even 1984 is a great work of art so that it can, even though it's about the left, even though 1984 is a condemnation of the left, it's a, it becomes a condemnation of tyranny because it's art, so it's above politics and higher than politics. So 1984 is a condemnation of tyranny. It, it, it's, it's, it's not just a condemnation of the left. It's a condemnation of both fascism and communism. And it's, you know, remember that uh, it's, it's, uh, the author was, was a lefty. He was a socialist. So the idea that 1984 is just a condemnation of the left is just, is just bizarre. But the idea that, uh, you know, 1984 is, is better literature than Atlas Shrugged or The Fountainhead is just bizarre. And the fact is the difference between 1984 and all of Ayn Rand's novels, all of Ayn Rand's novels, is that 1984 has no solution. 1984 has no positive image. And this is what bugs Clavan and his conservatives, the conservatives like him. What bugs them is that they have no, that, that they hate Ayn Rand's positive message. They agree with their criticisms. They agree with their criticisms. They agree a little bit with some of the economic points. But they despise her philosophy. They despise Rourke's individualism. They despise his self-interest. And therefore, they condemn the books. They condemn everything. They condemn the characters. They condemn the characterization. They condemn the writing because they hate the philosophy. They hate the philosophy. But they're not even philosophical enough to know that that's what's really driving it all. And they hate the philosophy because they're Christians. They hate the philosophy because they're altruists. They hate the philosophy because they're collectivists. And it's exactly this collectivism and altruism and Christianity that prevent them from being able to defend capitalism, to defend the founding fathers, to defend America. It's exactly what makes them just straight, conventional conservatives. So, yeah... Ayn Rand's novels convey a philosophy. It's not the purpose they were written, but they do convey a philosophy. But they first and foremost, they are novels, they are stories. They are amazing stories. Stories that millions of people have read. Stories, the only books that I know of, the only books that I know of, are fiction. That have changed people's lives. 
that has shaped people's lives, even including people who don't become objectivists, including people who don't agree with the entire philosophy, but because the books, the stories are so powerful. People's lives are influenced by them. How many Silicon Valley entrepreneurs were influenced, motivated, inspired by Ayn Rand's novels? How many Fortune 500 CEOs? How many even some leftist actors and directors in Hollywood found inspiration in the fountainhead? So put aside the philosophy. Treat it as a novel, as art, as romantic art, as art that inspires, that art... That, that you don't want to put the book down because, you know, you're in that world. She achieves that. It's not an accident. It's not an accident that so many people, so many people, say they were inspired by Rand. Athletes, movie stars, directors, unfortunately politicians, but business leaders more than anything. So the idea that, you know, nobody can get through the book, millions of people have read Atlas Shrugged cover to cover, millions of very successful people I know have read that book, and again, objectivists are not objectivists, have read the book Atlas Shrugged, 1,200 pages, over and over and over again over the years, because they find it so inspiring at different points in their life, and I recommend that you all do the same. So... It's, you know, anyway, let's keep going. Let's keep going. And it actually goes beyond politics. Her books, like once, once you get her philosophy, her books, I just find them so boring. And so- once you get her philosophy, does anybody listening think that Clavan gets her philosophy? I mean, I've heard him talk about Ayn Rand before. Uh, you know, he did a session with Bill Whittle in 2014 about Ayn Rand. Clavan has no clue about her philosophy. I mean, he's got about as much of a clue as you would get from skimming at Le Shrugged. And I take skimming to be pretty loose here. Right? He browsed through the pages, read the money speech, I think. Really? Once you get her philosophy? He doesn't get her philosophy. I mean, I dare say very, very, very few pl- people on planet Earth get her philosophy. Ay. Stiff and so hard to read. Some of her nonfiction is a little bit more interesting, but no more true. <laughs> so it's more interesting, but no more true. He's read the nonfiction and he's about to tell us why it's untrue. Everything she says that's true, everything she says that is true, she really understands money. She really. Everything she says is true, he's going to say, is taken from other people. She learned from somebody else. Understands money. She would have that clip. She understands of, uh, money because bill. he read she the money really speech. Gets money. One Everything thing she read. says about money is in a book by Frederick Bastiat, who was Reagan's favorite economist. Uh, he wrote a book, I think it's called The Laws, and it's 70 pages long. It's very readable. It's very simple. And everything Ayn Rand knows, I don't know if she just took it right out of that or if she, it came to her. I, I suggest, I mean, The Law is a brilliant book. I mean, it's, it's a magnificent book. I mean, clearly read it. Um, I think she read it. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's fantastic. But have you read the money speech? You find me 
the spirit of the money speech in the law. You find me the similarities that, that she cribbed it, she stole it, yeah, she took the ideas from, from, I mean, yes, she's not an economist. So she learned about economics from people like Bastiat, from people like um, uh, von Mises, Hazlitt. But this is the level that these people can think of. They can't think philosophically because to think philosophically would be to challenge all of their beliefs. So they focus on money. Okay, she gets money because that's the one part when he skimmed, he probably got the pamphlet, the money speech because he skimmed the book that he actually read. And yes, in terms of the role of money and the way money functions, yeah, Ayn Rand didn't invent that. She never claimed to invent that. But in terms of the philosophical meaning of money, in terms of the role of money culturally, the significance of the idea, if you remember, the money speech is all about making money and the significance of making money, the significance of the producer and the trader and what it means to be a producer and a trader morally. That she got from nobody. Nobody in history has talked about the producer the way Ayn Rand talks about the producer. Nobody in history has talked about the money, money making the way Ayn Rand talked about money making. Yes, she got the straight economics from people like Hazlitt, Mises, and Bastiat. But the philosophical underpinning, the moral underpinning, that's Ayn Rand. Through some other path, but everything she knows, uh, she gets from Frederick Bastiat, and, and all you need is those 70 pages <laughs> instead of her 1,000-page unreadable uh, diatribes. So all of Atlas Shrugged, for those of you who've read it, is just, all of it is just, it's just, you know, it's just about money. You didn't know that? It's just, it's just an economics treaty about money, 1,100 pages. That's what Gold's speech is about. That's what the story of the strikers is about. That's what Gold's Gulch is about. It's just about money. One speech. I mean, what you write a whole novel for. It's so superficial. It's so silly. It's so childish. I mean, it's one thing if you actually understood something about her philosophy and said, well, she got this from Aristotle, and she got this from this person, and she got this from Locke, and she got this from, you know, maybe. And then we could have a discussion. But to tell me that Ayn Rand's philosophy is about money, and that's the one thing she got right, and that she took from Bastiat is just pure idiocy. And dishonor, I mean more than this, because he's not an idiot. Uh, Clement is not an idiot. It's, it's dishonesty. He is dishonest. That, that is what I think. Secondly, obviously, while she does know about, um, about money and the economy and capitalism, uh, her moral and artistic judgments are insane. They are insane. And I hear she was like she fell in love with some like serial killer at one point. Yeah, so this is, again, you know, left, right, there's no difference. There's no difference. They use the same smears. They use the same half-baked, half-truths stuff to smear her. Not to engage with her ideas. Fell in love with some serial killer, something like that. Right? What's the difference between this and Salon.com? And you want me to consider myself on the right, an ally of Andrew Clavant. We are fighting for the same cause. Didn't you know? Really? 
it's truly despicable. And, and again, this is not new. This is, goes back to, uh, to Buckley. And the worst review ever written on a Atlas Shrugged was in the National Review. William F. Buckley's magazine. It was vile. It was horrible. It was disgusting. It was the right trying to distance itself from its true enemy, the true enemy of the American right, the true enemy of conservatism, is not the left, it's objectivism. The left knows we're the true enemy of the left, and the right knows we're the true enemy of the right. And the day will come when they will unite against us when we're big enough and significant enough. But the level, you know, the level of the critique, I mean, where is a is an honest, you know, knowledgeable critique. You, you could do that. I could pretend to be a critic of objectivism and do a better job than any of these people. From a distance, uh, because, and I don't, uh, that's not surprising to me. I, I wouldn't just pick on her for it personally, but she, her moral stances are insane. The idea that you what put your happiness standards? above all and that capitalism solves all problems is... So, you put... Your happiness above all, that's insane, he said. It's insane to put your happiness above all. And it's insane to think that capitalism solves all problems. Now, let's be clear. Ayn Rand never says capitalism solves all problems. I mean, there are lots of psychological problems that capitalism in and of itself does not solve. Capitalism creates the environment. Capitalism creates the conditions in which we are free to solve problems. All kinds of problems. But, again, the distortion of a view, the, the silliness of a view, but the key here, the key here, and the thing he doesn't agree with, the thing he doesn't agree with is the emphasis on happiness. That's what upsets him. That's what the conservatives can't stand. Because that's self-interested. Your happiness as an individual, that's intolerable to them. Oops. She claims, she claims that the only proper um, system for an objectivist is capitalism, as if capitalism were an outgrowth of objectivism. But I believe that objectivism is actually an outgrowth of capitalism. She thinks that this system is the bee's knees, this is her religion, and it's going to solve every problem. And of course it doesn't. Uh, well, objectivism does solve problems. Um, and objectivism is required to, to, to base a moral defense of capitalism on. Capitalism came close to being without objectivism, but it never materialized. It never was fully realized. It's an unknown ideal because what was lacking was the philosophy of objectivism, because what was lacking was a philosophical defense of freedom, a philosophical defense of individual rights. So it's true, capitalism came about without objectivism. Didn't last very long. Wasn't consistent. Was significantly flawed. And ultimately, we have moved dramatically away from it under the leadership of conservatives like Andrew Clavin and his liberal allies. Liberal is the wrong word. Leftist allies. Decisions that people make in uh, the fountainhead are absurd. Blowing up an orphanage because... Blowing up an orphanage. 
did you did he read the same book I read? Do you guys ever see? Do you remember the blowing up of an orphanage in the Fountainhead? Really? I mean, <laughs> talk about perpetuating lies. Now, I don't believe he's lying. I, I believe somehow it's in his head that Rogue blew up an orphanage because what, what could be worse? What what could you imagine? blowing up anything worse than maybe a hospital. Maybe a hospital. But an orphanage? And of course, he's not going to say, I mean, I wonder how many orphans died. I wonder how many orphanages died. I mean, clearly, Ayn Rand hates kids. That's, of course, a, a, the usual claim against Ayn Rand. He doesn't mention that it was a building under construction. It was a, um, it was a housing project. It was stolen, the designs were stolen and perverted by him. Then he made sure that nobody was hurt when he blew it up. None of that is relevant when you're trying to smear somebody, when you're being dishonest, when you're making stuff up on the fly, when you skim books, or you try to review books, you try to review books without actually reading them or without actually having any memory of what you read in the case that we want to believe him that he actually read the fountainhead. All right. Can't get it the way you like it is an absurd moral choice. Putting your happy... That's right. People, people, should, people, should, people should be allowed to steal my stuff. I'm not going to go blow them up if they steal my stuff. I mean, why stealing wrong if it serves the common good, if it's good for people? Because as he says, you know, I want to go back a little bit because he starts talking... Let's go. All right. Absurd moral choice. Putting your happiness first, putting profits above everything. She says you should seek your own self-interest, putting profits above everything. I mean, look at it. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary VTW, void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus now notice again we're talking about the fountainhead putting profits above everything now what what is one of the key moments in the fountainhead it's the moment where Howard Rourke rejects money, turns away an incredibly profitable commission in the name of integrity, walks away from doodles of money because he won't compromise, goes and works in a quarry, 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 so he doesn't compromise his values. And this guy is telling us that Ayn Rand is all about profit above everything? Now, profit is good for a variety of reasons, but it's not above everything. It's not above integrity. 
It's not about your values. It's not above your values. And he's ridiculing the idea, which he never criticizes. He hasn't given us an alternative. He hasn't told us why this is wrong. A placing? I mean, he, he, he smokes. <laughs> Happiness about everything? That's a joke. Happiness? What, what the hell? Why is that important? Well, tell us, please, Andrew. Tell us, why is happiness not a good thing? Why is it not the goal? Why is it not the purpose of life? What else should I... What is it about? Suffering? God? Getting to heaven? The common good? The public interest? What is it? Above everything. She says you should seek your own self-interest. Yeah, he says that as if that's obviously evil. Putting profits above everything. I mean, look at it. Look, look, all you have to do is you look, you know, they're, they're suing. Uh, they just got a judgment against Johnson & Johnson for selling opiates. And th- this is a complicated case, and lawyers are, are vultures. A very sharp, complicated and case. And they go after these companies because that's where the money is. Yeah, he just said it. <laughs> but he continues. It doesn't stop him. It's a complicated case. The lawyers are vultures. But I'm going to use this example anyway. <clears throat> but somewhere along the line, someone peddled these opiates to people knowing that they were addictive. This did happen at some point. Now, maybe it's the government's fault. I don't know why the government uh, passed on these things and then Johnson & Johnson gets blamed. But Yeah, so, it, it, you know, the government should have regulated this more. Th- these are the defenses of capitalism. The problem is the government didn't regulate it enough. That's the real problem in the po- opioid crisis. What's the difference between these guys and the left exactly? Again? Again? Somewhere along the line, there was a conversation where they said, well, you know, tough. We, we got to sell these things to make our money back. Uh, so let's do it. And let's never mind the, um, the, the addiction and the trouble it's going to cause. That's, that's good objectivism. That's pro- Is that good objectivism? Is that profit above everything? Is that what Howard Rourke would do? Is that what Reardon would do? Is that what Dagny would do? They'd tell with the long-term. Tell with the long-term consequences. Tell with long-term profitability. Tell with my integrity. Tell with, tell with honesty. I'm just going to peddle stuff for profit. That's objectivism. This is a guy who claimed earlier that it's easy to understand a philosophy. And once you understand a philosophy, everything else is boring. Boring. Well, Andrew, go read. Read. You know, reading. You're supposed to be a writer. Reading is not that hard. Read an essay by Ayn Rand. A whole essay. And you find me a place where she would say, profit above integrity. Profit above virtue. Short-term profit above long-term profit. It's just a caricature. And he, I mean, he truly is. This is why I was wondering whether I should even do this video because he's so pathetic. But I figure, enough. These people, you know, these people have, they, they go out there, they attack on Rand, they attack our ideas without even knowing the ideas. They skim books and they criticize them. And nobody stands up to them. So I'm standing up to you, Andrew, and I, I'm sorry to be advertising you, but I think given that I'm criti- criticizing this, um, you know, people will get how despicable what you were doing is. I mean, you could have just said, I fundamentally disagree with Ayn Rand. She stands, she's an atheist, she stands for self-interest, she's an advocate for reason. I am a Christian. I'm a conservative. I stand for faith. I stand for altruism. I stand with Jesus. We disagree fundamentally. Fine. Fine. That would be honest. But this has been a so far four minutes and 30 seconds.
dishonest, dishonest, and I, I use this for a moral, I'm condemning him morally here, a dishonest diatribe, you know, just pathetic. Anyway, all right. That, that's going. making yourself happy. So what? So that our cars explode? Is that what happiness means, Steinvand? Producing stuff that explodes? Producing stuff that is, that is crap? Is that really what makes somebody happy, according to Ayn Rand? No. No. Again, Ayn Rand has a philosophy, a whole system to understand the world and to understand us as human beings. And a view of happiness is far deeper, far more substantive than his caricature. It's about pursuing rational values that enhance your life as a human being. And our understanding as a human being is a deep understanding of what it means to have a conceptual consciousness, what it means to be the rational animal in Aristotle's terms, what it means to be guided by reason, what values a man of reason would seek and therefore and would be happy by attaining those values. But the idea that Ayn Rand, I mean, if you, oh, Jesus, if you read Atlas Shrugged, or if you read The Fountainhead, think of the, of the pride Howard Rourke has in his buildings. Think of what Howard Rourke would do if he discovered that he had a flaw in the design and that the building was going to collapse. Now, Andrew Clevin's uh, attitude is, <laughs> he's made a lot of money. They can't come after him. I don't know. They signed some indemnification. So he, he doesn't care. So the building falls down. It's big deal. Can you imagine how tortured Rourke would be if he found such a design flaw? What he would, the lengths he would go to fix it? He, you know, he wouldn't take the money. This caricature of materialism, it's the only way, of course, conservatives can think of the world because to them the material is unimportant, so they trivialize anything material. This idea that this is, or, or think of Reardon. Think of the, of the effort, the, 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 the mental effort, the physical effort that he goes through in order to, to design his metal. And not just any metal. Not some metal he can make a quick profit off of, but the best metal. And the confidence he has that the metal won't fail, that the bridge won't fall down. But Clavan is a typical Christian. Man is fundamentally evil. Man is fundamentally corrupt. Self-interest is nothing but the pursuit of lying, stealing, cheating, and exploiting. That's the essence of self-interest because that's the essence of man for, Christian, for Christians. So you need controls. You need regulators. You need an oppressive moral code that tells people they can't be happy, they shouldn't be happy, they shouldn't pursue their happiness to control all that evil that is inherent within human beings. I mean, it's such a dark, depressing, horrific view of mankind. And as a consequence, they can't contemplate. They can't imagine 
Howard Walk or Reardon or Dagny. To them, yeah, these are cardboard figures because they're outside of their ability to imagine what a human being could be. It goes against everything. It goes against everything that they believe about humanity. So yes, for them, they are cardboard. Yes, for them, the books are boring. Because what's presented in the books is man as he could or should be. But not according to a Christian morality. What's presented in the books according to a Christian morality is impossible. It's anti-human nature. It's the opposite of what canon should be. They want meekness. They want Jesus on a cross. That's the standard. That's realistic. That's, you know, motivating. That's inspiring. All right. It'll cost us less to get sued by the people whose uh, parents have died than it will to recall the cars so we won't recall the cars. I mean, that's the kind of thing that would happen in a, an Ayn Rand world. Her, her oh, artistic judgments, like against Shakespeare, make... Again, uh, Ayn Rand didn't have artistic judgments against Shakespeare. Where does he get that from? I mean, Leonard Peikoff, Ayn Rand's student declared Othello the greatest play of written. So, aesthetic judgments against Shakespeare? She had none. She had philosophical judgments against Shakespeare. Read Othello, and you'll see the evil philosophy represented in almost all of Shakespeare's plays. But that is not an aesthetic condemnation. But again, again, he just makes assertions. He just declares stuff. And I want to make it clear that what he says about Ayn Rand is just untrue. He's making it up. Stop being so dishonest, Andrew. Sense because her view of humanity is stilted uh, and wrong. Th- that's the key. Her view of humanity is heroic. Her view of man is heroic. Her view of man is rational. Her view of man as, you know, this magnificent creature that can create, build, make and that can achieve his own happiness. That is what is wrong. That is what he can't stand. That is what cons- pisses off conservatives. That is what freaks them out and why they have to attack Ayn Rand. But that's her view. Her stilted view of man is man is heroic. Man is capable of incredible feats of heroism and integrity and honesty and pride and rationality. And the fact that this is how they critique her, (laughs) what a pathetic world we live in. Her idea of morality is stilted and wrong. Now, if Yaron Brook said that that Judeo-Christian values are not Western values. That's I did just say historically that. ridiculous. That is historically ridiculous. I'll take Ju- him on uh, on that Western issue values, anytime. Even, even classical values that, that predate Judeo-Christian values come to us through the filter 
of Judeo-Christian values. And you cannot think... So classical values, Greek values, come to us through the filter of Judeo-Christian values. So we couldn't understand Aristotle without Judeo-Christian values. We couldn't understand Plato. We couldn't understand Greek sculpture. We couldn't understand Greek plays. We can't understand Greece. We can't understand the great writers of Rome without the Judeo-Christian filter. Now let me say this. It is true that there is a filter, and there has been a filter. And to the extent that that filter is there, to that extent, people have misunderstood the great values that came to us from classical civilization. You know, the, the uh, scholastics, to a large extent, distorted Aristotle, distorted his method, and distorted what he had to say, to the point where many people in the Enlightenment considered themselves rebelling against Aristotle, because what they were rebelling against was Catholic scholasticism, but they associated with that with Aristotle. But the idea that nobody can read the classics without a filter of a Judeo-Christian tradition is bizarre. It's wrong. It's untrue. And let me be very clear. Fundamentally, Western civilization is two ideas. I mean, it's all the product. It's all the, 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 the manifestation of these two ideas, the manifestation of these two ideas in art, the manifestation in these two ideas in our culture, in our attitudes towards one another, and ultimately in politics, in the way we have constructed our societies. And the two ideas, the two ideas implicit in Western civilization from the Renaissance on, and explicit in Western civilization starting in the Enlightenment, the two ideas are the efficacy of reason, the efficacy of the human mind and our senses to know reality, to understand reality. And the fact that the individual is an end in himself and his happiness is the purpose of his life. In the Declaration of Independence, ultimately, it says we have an inalienable right to our own life as individuals, as individual human beings. And to own happiness. To own happiness. So, those are the ideas that constitute Western civilization. The scientific revolution, the artistic revolution, the revolutions that, and ultimately a philosophical revolution that led to the idea of the efficacy of the human mind, of reason, and of individualism of man and his happiness as both a political end and a moral end. And that's not Christianity. Now, Christianity has an element of individualism. Ayn Rand attributes this to Christianity, the idea that the individual has a relationship with God. It's not the tribe. It's not the group. It's the individual. But even that, even that little element is destroyed within Christianity with the, with, with the whole Neoplatonism because we create a pope, a pope who then has the relationship with God for us. The pope who is a philosopher king who can commune with the world of the gods and re relay to us the truth that we must accept. That we must accept. So 
No, Clavin doesn't understand Western civilization. He doesn't know what Western civilization is fundamentally about. Even if you look at the art of the Renaissance, the art of the Renaissance, A, is guided by reason, perspective, the, the way to use colors, the kind of colors you can, the kind of paints you can use. I mean, there's so much science in the name of what? In the name of projecting reality, reality as it is or as it could be. It's, it's, it's a complete break from the Middle Ages where they're purposefully not presenting reality as it is, but reality as distorted. Reality as you would see it in a platonic cave. The Renaissance is implicitly about using our senses to discover the world as it is. It's the beginning, therefore, of also the scientific revolution. I mean... Read, I, I recommended the book by um, the book on Leonardo da Vinci. Read the book on Leonardo da Vinci. It is an, a magnificent book. And it's, it's just what a man Leonardo da Vinci was. <coughs> and you can see the beginnings of scientific revolution. You can see the integration of science and art. You can see the use of reason in art. There is no renaissance without individuals using their own mind in pursuit of their own values, in pursuit of their, their understanding of the truth, their discovery of the truth. And of course, it's an era of individualism. It's an era of artists who, this is the Renaissance, who are painting differently, with a different style, with a different orientation, with a different message, Painters and sculptors and architects who are doing amazing things and are being, for the most part, to some extent at least, left alone to do it. It's why it's such an era of creativity. So implicit in the Renaissance is the idea of reason and individualism. By the Enlightenment, they are now explicit. And by the Declaration of Independence, they've now turned into a political ideal. Again, not fully understood until Ayn Rand. This is so genius. This is why this is such an injustice. This is why this is so horrific is that Ayn Rand is the most important modern figure in Western civilization. And these creeps who claim to be defending Western civilization, this is, this is what they have to say about her? The woman who can save the West, the woman who can save the Enlightenment, the only set of ideas, I believe, that can save the Enlightenment, that can save these ideas of reason and individualism, these people are just trivially, casually, without, by skimming the book. This is what they have to say. A, a civilization that was called Christendom when it started is not a Christian civilization. It is. It's it wasn't a civilization when it was called Christendom. By all the philosophers from Kant to Nietzsche who rejected it were dealing with the Christian inheritance. They yeah, from Kant to Nietzsche. Uh, he's named two really, really bad philosophers. And he skipped over the Enlightenment. He skipped over the Enlightenment that is struggling, struggling to put Christianity in a place. In a sense, it's struggling to get Christianity out of Western civilization. Struggling to get beyond Christianity, to leave Christianity in the dust. And yes, it's true, Kant brings it right back.
Kant brings Christianity right back into the center of the discussion. And by doing that, sets the stage for all the anti-enlightenment movements to follow, from Marxism to fascism to all the anti-Western ideologies to nihilism, nihilism, all the Western, all the anti-Western ideologies that are set to, that attempt constantly from within the West to destroy the West. Communism is an anti-Western ideology, Western civilization ideology. Fascism is an anti-Western ideology. And I would argue Christianity is an anti-Western ideology. All, in their own way, trying to destroy the West from within. And I've always said, I fear those ideologies. I fear the danger from within far more than I fear dangers from without. This is why, to me, Islam is not a threat. These guys are a threat. The communists are a threat. The fascists are a threat. The conservatives are a threat. The left is a threat. Muslims can't take them seriously enough. So it's ridiculous to say that those are not our values and that objectivism somehow are. You know, capitalism... Objectivism is not your value. It's not. It should be. It's the only set of values that will save this civilization system. It's a great system. It's the best economic system, but it needs to be hemmed in by morals. It needs to be hemmed in by morals. What morals are those? Sacrifice. To be hemmed in by altruism and by... You said it. They need to be hemmed in by altruism. And once you hem them in by altruism, there's no more capitalism. There's no more freedom. There's no more Western civilization. Altruism as a moral ideal is enemy number one. It is, it is what is destroying our world. Ayn Rand says something about we're dying from an orgy of altruism. And that's what they're preaching. You remember, he attacks Ayn Rand for being about happiness. Um, and without that, Ayn Rand, believe me, would, would get nowhere in life. I hope you enjoyed that clip. No, we didn't enjoy that clip. <laughs> didn't enjoy it at all. All right, um, that's Andrew Clevin. I, you know, I've said what I have to say. Um, I hope that was of value to you guys. I don't know. All right, so I, I've got, I need, a, I need to end in like 10 minutes, and I've got a few Super Chat questions, so we're going to do these, uh, and, um, and then we'll go from there. So... Uh, uh, let me just answer this last super chat question because it's, it's a quick answer. Have you read James Valiant's book on the Roman origins of Christianity and how it was a tool to suppress a conquered people? Thoughts? Um, I haven't read the book. I, I, I intend to. It, I mean, please don't ask any more questions. Um, it's, um, it's a thesis that makes sense to me. I, that doesn't mean anything, right? It just makes sense to me because it's a, it's, it's a question of is it historically true or not? And uh, uh, I assume James uh, in, in the book presents, uh, presents strong evidence that it is true. Uh, but I haven't read it, so I, I'm not going to comment on it. But, it, it, you know, it does, the, the, even if, you know, there's no question, just to my little understanding of, of history, that 
the Romans understood how to use Christianity, uh, you know, both as a tool to have an enemy and ultimately as a tool to gain power and to 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 try to somehow save save the empire. And they they understood what that meant for Christianity. So they understood that Christianity couldn't be, for example, this mishmash of cults. It they couldn't be disagreements within Christianity. So the Romans very much understood that they had to have one dogma. They needed to be a, a, a one representative of that dogma, and, and it needed to be enforced, and they, they helped the Christians kill anybody who disagreed with the dogma, and ultimately they're the ones who led to the creation of the Catholic Church as we know it and to its expansion and growth throughout Europe. But um, I'm sure I'll have more to say after I read the book and maybe interview James on the show. Well, uh, okay, let's go from the top. Hey, Ron, how did trade markets work before capitalism? And also, what do you think of the future of banking looks like with AI and index funds? Um, I mean, trade worked. Uh, money was existed before capitalism. Uh, money was a consequence of markets. And ultimately, you know, governments took it over. But it was it, money arose from the need, from the fact that people were trading. And trade arose from the obvious advantages of, of uh, specialization and the obvious benefits of trade, the win-win benefits of trade that have been obvious to the human race for about 10,000 years. Oh, wait a minute. I mean, ex- unless you're the occupant of the White House and then the benefits of trade are not obvious to you at all. So 10,000 years of benefits of knowledge wiped out by one president. But... Um, so there was some semblance of protection of pseudo-property rights. So there was, there was a sense in which people, um, you know, people acted as if their property was theirs. It was often confiscated. It, unfortunately, they were often proved that it wasn't. Uh, but generally, uh, you know, people acted because you have no choice but to act and to live with the idea that your property is yours. And then you trade property with the assumption that it is, and, and better local regimes protected property more and others less, and that's something that evolved over time, right? And 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 part part of what civil makes civilization is that protection, the protection of property and the safety uh, to trade. So markets worked without capitalism, without a complete rule of law, tentatively, half bakedly, um, and. Uh, Therefore, there wasn't a huge amount of wealth creation. There wasn't a huge amount of uh, human improvement. There wasn't huge. Uh, the benefits of trade were of trade were limited because people were not free. Because there wasn't a protection. There wasn't a protection of property rights. And and of course there was there was a lack of knowledge. So markets predate capitalism. Capitalism is not markets. Capitalism is is the. Um, is a principled approach to markets. It's looking at markets and saying, what is the principle at work here? What is it that is, that is at work here that is so beneficial to mankind? And what's, what's at work here is property rights. It's the idea that you as an individual have a right to your own life and a right to your own property. And capitalism institutionalizes that in a social context. So it says that we, the only role of government is to protect those rights that are implicit in any marketplace. Capitalism makes them explicit. 
decent answer for on the fly. Um, all right. Uh, did you enjoy any of the later 20th century writers like Philip Roth, Sol Bellow, William Styron? Bellow was an individualist sentiment throughout. I enjoy some of them. I, I'm not, I, I don't generally comment on literature. It's not my expertise. Of all the art forms out there, it's the one I know, I think, the least about. Um, I, I, you know, I have to say, the, 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 the novelists that I enjoy the most are Ayn Rand and Hugo. Um, and, you know, I love, I love the plays of Shakespeare. I love, uh, I love a lot of, uh, I love a lot of theater. I like reading, but I'm not an expert, so I'd rather not comment. But I have enjoyed some of, some of those writers. Uh, I don't consider Sobello an individualist in the same sense, in the sense that Ayn Rand means an individualist, the sense I mean an individualist. So, but that's a whole other discussion. And, and since I don't want to discuss books that I don't remember well, I'm not going to discuss Sobello without, you know, reading a book you know, that I can remember. I, I read, I read Bellow. I don't think I've read William Styrone and Philip Roth. Bellow and Roth I read 30 years ago, and I just don't remember enough. Um, okay, this is the last one. What is the relation between economic values, subjective, and objective values defined by Ayn Rand? I mean, that's a big question, um, and it's a question she talks about in the lead essay in Capitalism, Not Known Ideals. So I recommend you do that. She does not consider any value in a sense. She does not consider economic value subjective. Um, so when you go into the marketplace and say the iPhone is worth X to me or so on, she doesn't consider that subjective. Subjective means that it's not, a, that it's not related to reality. It's not connected to reality for you. So she would consider that a personal value, that it's either rational or irrational, but it's but it's personal. Subjective is, is, is not the right term philosophically for what that value is. Now, she had, you know what, I'm going to do this, and I, I apologize because I, I know you asked the question, but I'm going to hold this question for a future show because it's a complex question, and there's a lot to say about it, all right? So uh, let me get back to you in a future show on that because I don't have the time now. Uh, Tobias asked, when are you going, when are you coming to Copenhagen again? I, I, nothing planned, nothing planned. You know, I, uh, I'd like to come to Copenhagen. I'd like to uh, do a trip through Scandinavia. Uh, we've done some good events in Copenhagen and in Sweden. But you'd have to talk to Annie, who runs um, our ARI Europe programs, and uh, what plans, she doesn't have any plans for me to go to Copenhagen anytime. Todd uh, that is very a very generous contribution. Thank you for supporting the show. He did it through, um, through Super Chat. You can, of course, support the show through Super Chat, or you can support the show through Subscribestar. Uh, the best way, though, to do it, other than Super Chat, is to support the show through my website, and that means going to youronbrookshow.com slash support. You should go to the website anyway. There is a schedule of all my speaking events that are coming up and uh, a schedule of, uh, of, I think, of the shows that are coming up. By the way, I will be in November in Eastern Europe, primarily. I will be speaking in, well, this is not Eastern Europe, but I'll be speaking in Milan at a student conference in Milan. So if you're in Italy, you are invited. 
uh, on, uh, on Sunday, November 17th, I think it is. Then I'll be speaking in Prague. From Prague, I'll be going to Tbilisi, doing a number of talks in Tbilisi, Georgia. I know there's some people who listen to the show out there in Tbilisi, so I'm looking forward to visiting with you again. From Tbilisi, we are going to go to Vienna, maybe do a small event in Vienna. Then to Belgrade, do a, a lunch talk in Belgrade, and then we're going to end it on a weekend uh, in Warsaw, which is having a whole weekend event on capitalism, and I'll be participating in that weekend event on capitalism. So I will be throughout Eastern Europe plus Milan, and, and maybe maybe doing something in London. We will see. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, before then, by the way, I will be speaking in uh, at, the, at the University of at Michigan State University, Michigan State University. And I'll also be speaking somewhere else in, uh, I think, in Connecticut for the leadership program of the Rockies, which has just started a program in Connecticut. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe tomorrow I'll talk a little bit about leadership program of the Rockies. I think you guys will find it interesting. Okay, I need to run. I've got a phone call in like five minutes. Uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to support the show. If you see value here, please Show me that you see value here by supporting the show and, and trading value for value. And uh, share, 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 share. And I will see you probably tomorrow. Probably tomorrow, same time, same place. Bye, everybody. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.